Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. Before we kickstart today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the Vauxhall ELCV range. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELCV range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van, with an electric range of up to 261 miles, and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you are already thinking of making the leap to an all-electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today, Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, friends. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, for the ultimate Premier League review of the weekend as we look back on the nine Premier League games that have taken place over Saturday and Sunday in the company of the TalkSport football correspondent, Alex Crook. Hello. Hello. Big United fan as well, but we won't mention that until a little bit later on. And the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis. Hello. On the way, Eric Ten Hag, Eric Ten Weeks, if he's lucky. Another battle at the bridge. Anthony Taylor becomes centre of attention again. Plus, West Ham struggle to find a way through the forest. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Yes, week two of the Premier League season. Oh, it's getting hot in here. So take off all your clothes. Actually, you two, probably best if you don't. But um, the Premier League living up to its heat wave in more ways than one. What a sizzling weekend of football we had. Uh, the heat too much for Antonio Conte and Thomas Tuchel. Uh, that's for sure. It's a game that we'll get to in just a few minutes. But other highlights from the weekend from you both, please. And Crook, you can stay away from United. We know it's a touchy subject. He was out last night. He couldn't concentrate on his big party that he was at because he was so depressed about Manchester United's state. Uh, so just things that are positive, I think, for the, the first part of the show. Uh, Darren, what was a big positive for you? A terrific win for Nottingham Forest. I expected West Ham's settled, settled side to go there and win. Uh, I did think that Forest had signed too many players and that they could be in danger of becoming a bit of an unbalanced squad, a little bit like Fulham did uh uh, when they were last in the Premier League, but they were organised, they were well coached, as you'd expect from a side managed by Steve Cooper, and they were absolutely superb. Yeah, what about you, Crookie? Uh, I was particularly impressed with the impact of uh, Onana of Everton. He came on, he actually changed the game actually more ways than one. He gave the ball away for the second Aston Villa goal and then created a goal for Everton. But I think going forward, he's going to be a terrific player. Um, big positives for you this weekend? 
Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Ralph Hasenhutl. Uh, rumours in the media in the week that he'd lost the dressing room. Didn't look like a manager who'd lost the dressing room in the second half. Made some positive changes. Uh, players clearly fighting for the shirt. I thought Seiko Mara made an eye-catching debut. Good goal from Joe Aribo. And an important point for Southampton from 2-0 down. Oh, South Coast friends. Lovely. <laughs> He once said uh, when we were talking about managers, you know, Ralph's the kind of bloke you just want to go for a beer with. Isn't that right? It's true. That's how I judge all my managers. Would you have a <laughs> pint with him? I'm not sure I'd have one with Ten Hag at this moment. No, I don't, I don't think he'd let you um, because if you dared to have a day off, he'd probably cancel it and bring you in uh, to make up for the terrible performance that you put in at the weekend, inevitably. Um, what a weekend it was. And on TalkSport, it all went off. Equalised for Tottenham and a scrap happening on the bench here. Chelsea won, Tottenham won. Chelsea are absolutely furious. Both benches are out of the technical areas, squaring up to each other. Real fury in the crowd, real fury among the Chelsea players. Thomas Tuchel is dancing down the touchline in celebration. Chelsea back in front. Chelsea 2, Tottenham 1. It has been the spiciest of London derbies. He loves a goal in a London derby, Harry Kane. And he's got one right at the end here. Conte is absolutely delighted. Tuchel cannot believe it. Antonio Conte has been sent off at the final whistle here, as has Thomas Tuchel. It has finished Chelsea 2, Tottenham 2. The most heated, the most spicy. The most extraordinary London derby in the early stages of the season. I have never seen anything like that. All of the headlines will be about the bad blood, and it looked like bad blood between Tuchel and Conte at the very end. The gloves came off. It has finished Chelsea 2, Tottenham 2, but we haven't heard the end of this. I repeat, and this is not important. If there is a problem, the problem is uh, between me and him. Do you regret what happened with Antonio Conte at the end? No, there's nothing to regret, guys. Um, arguments, I mean, we were fighting, he was fighting for his team, I was fighting for my team. Nobody got insulted, nobody got hurt. Let's start with Sunday afternoon, 4.30, Chelsea 2, Tottenham Hotspur 2. I mean, first of all, let's just say it was a terrific match, a brilliant, brilliant spectacle, an encounter that gripped you throughout the course of the afternoon. It really was terrific. The main talking point, obviously, what happened towards the end of the game with Tuchel and uh, uh, Conte getting in each other's face. It's all a bit spicy. I know some people will say immediately the reaction, the reflex response that is, oh, we don't want to see it. But there's part of us that kinds of does, don't we really? I mean, we enjoy a little bit of needle, a little bit of passion, a little bit of uh, a competitive spirit. Um, and then there's the decision that stops Romero from being sent off when clearly he should have been. Um, that will come into sharp focus. How did you both see it? Start off with you, Darren. Well, that decision will be all over the back pages uh, of tomorrow's papers. The pictures from that of self-explanatory and the bad blood will be there. It's interesting, actually, because for us guys in print media, we're, we're sport for choice. United were obviously head and shoulders, the big story uh, that we're going to be across the back pages tomorrow because Eric Ten Months, as everyone's been calling him, <laughs> bit of a disparaging nickname. but Months? You'll be lucky to get 10 months. <laughs> well, indeed, it might even be weeks. Um, but the, the mess, the chaos, United was was a fairly straightforward story, but the, the fireworks at Stamford Bridge have, have matched that. So, yeah, I, I thought what happened at Chelsea was a fascinating game because they looked as though they'd run away with it. 
but the character that I've been talking about that Conti's instilled into that team was brought to bear. Also, the tactical change you made going to a four from a five and yeah. throwing on Richarlison, that's why you buy somebody of that calibre so that you can bring on genuine quality to change games. And I think Romero, very, very, listen, not fortunate. It was a stone-cold red card. Yeah, it was a red card. Look, he pulls uh, Cucurella's hair, drags his hair, pulls him back and pulls him onto the floor. It is violent conduct. Maybe you can argue... It's not enough uh, to be deemed violent conduct by the VAR if you're really being generous. Mm. But either way, it's definitely aggressive behaviour, which is a yellow card offence. Therefore, a second yellow card for Romero. Therefore, a free kick to Chelsea, not a second corner. Tottenham down to 10 men. The second goal should never happen. I mean, that is an aberration of the highest order from the officials, isn't it, Crook? Yeah, and I think what's interesting, um, there's a... A conspiracy theory amongst Chelsea fans that Anthony Taylor um, doesn't give them too many particularly favourable decisions. And actually, Thomas Tuchel was asked about that uh, in the build-up and, and played it down, didn't want to buy into that narrative. I think he was buying into it by full time when he suggested that maybe <laughs> it isn't a good idea for Anthony Taylor uh, to referee Chelsea again. But it was Mike Dean, I think he was on VAR, who should have spotted that hair pulling. And I, I think it was enough. Um, for intervention from the VAR room. So that was a slightly strange situation. As for the incident at the end, I loved it. You know, a bit of passion on the touchline. There were, there were no punches thrown. But it seems to be a theme of the weekend, doesn't it? Um, look at me in the eyes when you're talking to me, because that was the issue um, that Thomas Tuchel seemed to have with Antonio Conte. Yeah. They were shaking hands and he wasn't facing him. So at no. least we're all looking at each other tonight on this podcast. Absolutely. And, you know, Stephen Gerrard is listening we're looking at you in the eyes and asking you to pick us, please. Tyra Mings obviously did that because he played at the weekend as well. We'll get to that in just a while. Um, look, I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to moan about decisions too much because you get well, some you and you don't get some. But the fact that there was also a foul in the lead up to the first goal does sort of fuel those ridiculous, them as, as they might be, conspiracy theories. The fact that both goals come from mistakes from the officials is not going to help Anthony Taylor's course, really, is it? I mean, you know, I know it was a little bit far back, but that should have been spotted initially by the linesman, the referee. They were on the scene. They were close enough to it. They didn't need to have VAR to help them out. And I know that they wouldn't have gone back that far anyway. So there was no way that a VAR would get involved in that. But the referee and the linesman should have seen it in the first place. Havertz being fouled in the build-up to the second goal. Obviously, Jorginho doesn't help himself by being an absolute idiot inside the penalty area, flicking the ball back, dragging it up and trying to get past two Tottenham players in your own box. That's a little bit naive from him, but he had a he had a bad game, actually. And right from the very start, he looked like he was going to struggle. But I thought Chelsea were excellent. All over the pitch, they were better than Tottenham. Tottenham surprised me how passive they were. I thought the one thing you can say about Tottenham is impressively, they came back and stole a point but I mean as far as the performance was concerned I was surprised how passive they were Crook. Yeah I, I agree with that and um, I think it highlights and to be fair Antonio Conte alluded to it afterwards that there's still a, a lot of ground for Tottenham to make up uh, particularly on Liverpool and Man City but maybe on Chelsea as well but I think my other takeaway from the game was as well as Chelsea played their lack of a number nine. Kai Havertz has missed an absolute sitter just before Rhys James scores. Looks as if Rhys James is going to get him off the hook, but they end up dropping points late on. And I wonder now if we will really see uh, their interest in Pierre-Emerick or Bamiyang ramp up. I think Thomas Tuchel uh, publicly has spoken about his relationship with a player. I think they need a proper centre forward. I just don't think Kai Havertz is, is going to cut the mustard. 
Yeah, they definitely do need something in the goal-scoring department because they missed too many chances. It's been a theme of the last three years, Darren. They need to do something about it. And if that means spending over the odds now, they've got to do it. Actually, now, looking at the way that the defence is balanced, it's probably more essential that they get that end of the pitch sorted out than the other. Well, that was something I spoke about in the very first podcast of this seat. Well, we were doing them even while I was out in America. And it was a question I asked um, Thomas Tuchel directly because they had had that interest in Robert Lewandowski and Barcelona beat them to it, just like they beat them to every other player they went for. Um, And Tuchel was saying at the time, no, we're okay. We can play Raheem there. We've got Broya there. We can play Havertz maybe there, but none of them can shoulder the burdens of scoring goals in the manner of a Salah or a Haaland or a Nunes. And so, yeah, it's absolutely right that they're looking for someone. The trouble is there's no one out there. Aubameyang will have to come in and do it. He's a good striker. It's a big ask. It is. It's going to be a big pay packet as well um, to get him out of Barcelona. That is for sure. Um, look, I think overall, Chelsea performed better than I expected them to. Tottenham performed worse than I expected them to. It's still only two games into the season. So let's not get too uh, over the top about either of the performances and uh, see what happens over the next couple of weeks. But uh, I'm sure there's plenty of frustration from Thomas Tuchel that his team didn't get over the line today. Not as much frustration as there might be at Old Trafford and at Carrington, where Manchester United were dragged in on Sunday to train again by Eric Ten Hag uh, after losing on Saturday night by four goals to nil against Brentford. Now, when I started the preview to this game on Thursday's podcast, I began with the words, I fancy Brentford to get something from their first home game of the season. But then again, they're only facing Manchester United it was kind of a little joke, Darren. But actually, that's exactly how it played out, isn't it? I mean, it was an absolute joke from Manchester United. I don't want to bore everybody with another long-winded Manchester United inquest. We've done those. So instead, I'll ask you some quick questions about where the blame lies after you tell me how good you think Brentford were. They were terrific. Matthias Jensen, the best player on the pitch. Um, and they were organised at the back. Brian Emboemo, composure personified to score that final goal. And Ivan Tony's uh, couple of assists, but the one for Emboemo's goal, outstanding. And an all-round fantastic team display. And I think it's right that we spend a couple of minutes giving them the credit that they deserve because they were excellent, as Brighton were last week. Nobody is afraid of Manchester United anymore. Last week, we talked all about that all of us agreed that Brentford could get something out of this. I think it will get worse for them. The players, for me, do not respect the manager. We saw it against Rayo when some left before the end of the game. I cannot remember any top six side. I can't even remember a Premier League side where that's happened in pre-season before, let alone at a club the size of Man United. And also we saw it in the performances against Brighton and Brentford. Those players are not having the manager and I think it's going to end in tears. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Brentford, though, are an example of a really well-run club, aren't they? You know, recruitment, coaching, business acumen. Since 2012, they spent £152 million on new players. They've sold £175 million worth, which is a net profit of around about £23 million quid. In the same period in which Manchester United haven't won a title. Um, it's uh, Well, actually, they won a title in 2013. But after that, since uh, the... Uh, 
Fergie retirement, they spent £1.35 billion on new players. They've sold £380 million and their net spend is roughly £970 million. I mean, <laughs> the contrast couldn't be more stark, could it? And it was her- an horrendous day. David De Gea, mistakes in quick succession. There was a rumour that the players said they couldn't see each other because their new third kit was so close to the colour of the grass in the sunshine that they were blending into the floor. I mean, it reminded me of the old Sir Alex Ferguson Southampton grey kit uh, sort of suggestion. I mean, it was hilarious, to be honest with you. I mean, they are terrible kits, but I mean, they're not that bad. Um, Bad challenges, worse defending. But here are the quick questions. Mid-table teams in Holland aren't a patch on Brighton and Brentford. Do you think, yes or no, Ten Hag has misjudged the Premier League? Darren? Yes. Crook? Yes. Tactically, he's been done twice in two weeks. The difference physically in the pace of the fitness of someone like Welbeck, Tony and Mbwermo has been stark to that back line. What on earth is going to happen when this team come up against Darwin Nunez, Mohamed Salah, Roberto Firmino, God forbid Erling Haaland, they're going to get absolutely killed, aren't they, Darren? Not necessarily, because I think um, that it might well be that they raise their game against Liverpool. I think they'll lose, but I don't think they'll get... Listen, I could be wrong because they got annihilated last year. Can't wait for this <laughs> to be trying to be respectful. Tuesday morning. <laughs> I'm trying to be respectful. Don't but worry about that. I suppose my big, my big feeling is that it's against the smaller sides where United still think they're United of old and the complacency sets in. That's where the results are really bad. Um, but to be honest with you, I don't think United are... They have the players, but they don't have the work ethic to win any game right now. Darren says he doesn't think the uh, the manager is up to it. He says that it's uh, it's going to end in tears. I mean, for t- turning round one sorry, week sorry, and playing... Sorry, 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 Sam. I don't want it, I don't want it this to be one of those podcasts where I keep interrupting you all the time, but it's not that I don't think he's up to it. I think he's a very capable manager. He clearly has established a very good reputation, but with the players that he appears to be targeting for this league and his inability to basically make demands that leave him with a settled squad to begin this season, just like the other five teams in the top six, it concerns me that he doesn't really get Man United and the the demands of turning them back into what they once were. Which is a really nice way of saying he's not up for it. Uh, (laughs) But but ultimately... um, he, he is a bit of an issue. For me, he's a bit of an issue. And I worried about this when he came in from the Erie Divisi because tactically, it's a very different league. And the idea that he's played Christian Eriksen as a false nine, then as a central midfield player, deep-lying central midfield player, invoke this system, determine that they must play out from the back. When David De Gea does not have the ability to do that, has never had the look of someone who's comfortable with the ball at his feet, to insist that he tries to attempt to play out for the back was only ever going to end in tears. Also, this is a guy who's walked around with a megaphone for the last God knows how long, telling everybody how he expects his team to play. As a result of that, Brentford, Brighton, everybody else knows what to expect when Manchester United turn up. And if you don't vary it or don't have the ability to change it in game, then you're going to find that they've got a plan for you. And Brentford certainly did. 
Yeah, but I think the players have to take some responsibility because it was pretty clear from minute one that however they've been set up to play, it wasn't working. Uh, David De Gea trying to play out from the back on the second goal. He should have had the wherewithal to know that that wasn't on and it should have gone long upfield. So I don't think it's all on the manager. What but does worry players, me? He can't do it. Yeah, no, He's I agree with that. He's never been able to do it. He's never been able to do it. I agree with that. So therefore, they should have kept Dean Henderson and, uh, you know, made a bold decision to change the goalkeeper. He should have made a bold decision to take the captain's armband away from Harry Maguire. He should have made a bold decision on week one not to play Fred and McTominay. 10 of the 11 that stunk the place out against Brighton started against Brentford. What, did that t- what does that tell you about consequences or lack of f- over poor performances? Because these players have been letting the, the club down, they've been letting the fans down for a prolonged period of time, yet they keep getting picked week in, week out. I thought he would be that strong arm character. I don't think he is. I don't think the players respect him. I'm already hearing whispers they're actually struggling to communicate with the players that maybe some of the players not buying into Steve McLaren's return to the club either. This is two weeks into the season. I agree with Darren. This is going to get worse for Manchester United before it gets better. I'm not sure Ten Hag is, is the man to turn it around. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it looks as if already, it looks as if it's doomed, doesn't it? It looks doomed because the players clearly aren't responding to whatever it is Eric Ten Hag has asked them to do. I think you're right about a lack of um, a lack of bold choices on his part, which has really shown a weakness, I think. And I thought that last week when he did the halfway house with Ronaldo, that was the first show of, of weakness and subservience to bigger egos in the dressing room. And I think once you've done that once you're in massive trouble. You let any player show you, you show any player any sort of weakness, they'll take advantage of it. And Manchester United players certainly did. Ivan Tony certainly did. What statistics he posted yesterday. First time in a Premier League game that he's posted more than one assist. Uh, most distance covered, 10.6 kilometres in a Premier League game. Most touches in the opposition box, chances created, and aerial duels won in the match. Well done to him. There is another statistic doing the rounds about the fact that Manchester United ran a lot less than uh, Brentford during that game. But, you know, it was hot. Um, On Saturday at three o'clock, Manchester City took on Bournemouth. 4-0, the final score in that game. Gundogan, De Bruyne, Foden and Lerma all scored. Lerma, an own goal with 11 minutes to go. You might think, hold on a second, that list doesn't seem complete. Surely Erling Haaland should have scored. Haaland should have scored. Um, But he had to settle for an assist on his debut. Um, One of only eight touches in the game, Darren. Yeah, doesn't worry me at all. This is one of the great players. He will become one of uh, the great players in, in world football. Um, and I think, as Guardiola said after the match, his job is probably the hardest in Europe right now because he has three players all around him denying him time and space. Now, I've got to say, when they signed him, I think we, I remember talking to you guys about the fact that it, when you have a point man, no matter how good he is, if he doesn't get the ball, he can't hurt you. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did wonder whether teams will play that way. The trouble is when you play against City, there are other players who can hurt you, like Gundogan, uh, like De Bruyne. Um, and so I think as far as City are concerned, they won't have any problems if Haaland doesn't score. If teams open up and try to go toe to them, toe to toe with them, those teams will have problems. But I think, as far as City are concerned, there is time to perfect getting that understanding with Harlan right. I did love the reaction that he gave off when Foden failed hmm. to square it to him um, in the first half. He, he, he was absolutely furious about it. And actually, Pep was furious about it as well. He basically said, You have to pass in that situation because you should know that Erling 
is always going to be there. Um, listen, they'll, they'll 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 click, they'll get it right with him, and they'll score more goals. I mean, they did win the game four 0 so there shouldn't be too many uh, complaints. And uh, look, as Scott Parker said afterwards, it's not a game that uh, Bournemouth would worry too much about because this is not their league, and and that's true. They've got other things to worry about. Yeah, um, I don't think it was only Pep and, and Erling Haaland who were furious with Foden. I think <coughs> fantasy football managers up and down the country were as well because we all... He got, he got me 10 points. You got me 10 points, that'll do. 10 points <laughs> could, is fine. Could, could have been a lot more. Um, but in, in terms of Bournemouth, 4-0 is respectable. And that's where Manchester City are at this moment in time. It's not an embarrassment uh, for a newly promoted team. And at 3-0 down at half-time, I think they would probably have taken 4-0. Uh, their games are going to be... One and lost at home uh, against teams in the lower half of the table. That's what will determine if they stay up. doesn't get any easier. They've got Arsenal at home next Saturday. Then I think they go to Liverpool. So I think the goals against column is going to be fairly high uh, for Bournemouth after the first month of the season. Yeah, I mean, they, they'll be targeting games against Manchester United, not Manchester City, I would have thought. Uh, what a goal from Kevin De Bruyne, by the Brilliant. way. And I did love it when you said De Bruyne earlier on, Darren. It was a it was a beautiful, deep, baritone way of rolling that R. Just do it for me again, if you can. I don't think I can remember how I did come on, it. Come on, you, you know you did. You were De Bruyne. They were De Bruyne. That's it. Perfect. The first one was better. Um, yeah, outside of the right boot finish, absolutely terrific. No Grealish from the start, though, Darren. Yeah, and, you know, the pressure is on Grealish to actually justify that huge outlay. Now, to be fair to him, he doesn't determine how much he costs. His job is just to play. But, you know, when you're talking about players with that kind of price tag, you are expecting the kind of transformative effect that Van Dijk had at uh, Liverpool, Alisson as well. And Grealish, the jury is still very much out on him. That said, he'll get the time to find his way as far as City are concerned because Guardiola has that effect on the players that he brings to the club. Um, just a word on De Bruyne, though, 15 goals last season. And if he can continue in that vein, and we all know he can, I think this could be another big campaign for him, particularly if players are drawn away to Erling Haaland and opening up that space for him to do what he does best. Totally agree. Um, 19 attempts, four goals for Manchester City. And Kevin De Bruyne said afterwards, <laughs> yeah, we can go up a level. Great. Um, what else happened on Saturday on TalkSport? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code perfectmanny20 at alvinjune.com slash perfectmanny20. That's perfectmanny20 at alvinjune.com slash perfectmanny20. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the new Vauxhall Combo Electric. The Combo Electric is Vauxhall's new compact van that is made right here in Britain at their Ellesmere Port plant. Not only does the new van look fantastic and with a striking redesign, but by manufacturing 
the combo electric locally, Vauxhall is helping to support the British workforce. Local manufacturing also reduces the cost of going electric, making the transition accessible for more businesses. With an electric range of up to 205 miles on a single charge and one year's free public charging included, the new combo electric is ready to take on whatever you throw at it. Head online today and see for yourself. Search Vauxhall Electric Vans and prepare to lead the charge. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. The when Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard were two of the finest midfielders in the Premier League and both will know that their CVs as a player won't buy them more time than anybody else. Watkins pulls it back across the face of goal and Emi Buendia is there to seal it for Aston Villa. And it's him again, Gabriel Jesus at the double and it's Leicester's Achilles heel again, corners. And both sides remain unbeaten at the start of this Premier League campaign. Full time at the Yamek Stadium. Brighton and Hovalbion nil, Newcastle United nil. Man City have been outstanding. Man City 4, Bournemouth nil. Mitrovic is saved and the rebound comes out and is cleared away by Kilman. It remains nil nil here. And it's Southampton 2 leads to, and I didn't see this coming quarter of an hour ago when Saints went 2 0 down. Kyle Walker Peters. Can you believe it? Brentford 4, Manchester United nil. Manchester United have capitulated here. This is the Manchester United of Sir Alex Ferguson. This is the palest fake imitation. As Declan Rice steps up to take this penalty, the noise tell you it's been saved. There does go the full-time whistle. It has finished. Nottingham Forest 1, West Ham United 0. Antonio Conte has been sent off at the final whistle here, as has Thomas Tuchel. It has finished. Chelsea 2, Tottenham 2. The most heated, the most spicy, the most extraordinary London derby in the early stages of the season. I have never seen anything like that. Aston Villa 2, Everton 1, live on TalkSport Saturday lunchtime. Um, look, I thought Everton was second best for most of this match, but actually should have stole a point towards the end of the game. They had uh, several chances. They, a little bit like Chelsea, actually lacking a, a finisher at the top end of the pitch, Crook. Yeah, it's a problem uh, for them. It's probably why they were, were sniffing around Shea Adams, and I think they'll continue to try and push and and probe that interest. I think they have an interest in Neil Mope as well, although uh, as of Saturday night, Nottingham Forest looked a more likely destination for him in this incredible spending spree uh, that Forest are on. But I, I think they do need uh, to find someone to fill that hole when Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as seems to be the case more often than not, isn't fit. Uh, it was a brilliant end to the game, actually. You're right about mm. Anana, looks a great athlete, came on and had an impact in, in both boxes uh, for different reasons. But I want to highlight Tyrone Mings, and you've alluded to it already, those comments that Stephen Gerrard made after the Bournemouth game suggesting a problem between manager and former captain. I thought he came back into the team and there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders, a lot of spotlight uh, on the England international. And he stepped up for the plate. It was a brilliant block that he made late in the game uh, to really see his side over the winning line. So credit to his character and to his mentality. 
Yeah, you've been slagging him off for years. And then uh, when he got dropped from the team, you had to go at Steven Gerrard for dropping him. And now you've brought him back in again. You're his biggest fan. More, more flip-flops than a Javiana's store. But anyway, don't worry about it, Darren. Um, yeah, that there was a three-point saving block from Tyrone Mings towards the end of that game. Uh, Danny Ings on the score sheet. Wendy are on the score sheet as well. Steven Gerrard will be a relieved man after, you know, going back to the end of last season, beginning of this season, a run of results that he wouldn't have been happy with. Yeah, um, I think it was seven defeats in 12 uh, and only two victories in that spell and only two wins in 11 at home. So he really did need to put that right by any means necessary. Uh, and that it didn't have to be pretty and it wasn't at times, but they did show a lot of character. They did show that they are playing for him. And I thought it was a very cle- clever piece of management to play Ming so that that whole situation wasn't going to be the, the legacy, if you like, win or lose of this game. Um, now the club can move on. They're in a better place. I did think Everton were very unlucky not to get something out of the game. The talk is obviously that Chelsea have put in a £40 million bid for their 21-year-old forward, Anthony Gordon, who's got a huge reputation. And their best Anthony. player. Yeah, Antonio Conte likes him as well. My question to the two of you, if you're Everton, do you accept £40 million given, as you were saying, Crook, the interest in Shea Adams? No, no, no. It's got to be 50 at least before you even start thinking about it. No For a chance. player who's only played 50 times, not got He's an English cap, not He's too good. They've got the nothing. Game. They've got nothing up front. They've got absolutely zip up front. And if they get rid of Anthony Gordon, it does two things. It demoralises the fan base who idolise him already. It robs them of probably their most creative asset at this moment in time. Now, look, maybe they'll smooth it over or Nana will do well. They'll get somebody else in. But, you know, where, who's going to come in and, and light up that team at this stage of the transfer window? Everybody in, in, in the top division is looking for a striker. You've already mentioned that they're few and far between. Where are you going to get one for fifty million pounds? You know, unless Everton are in such dire straits that they need to, to sell in order to survive as a football club, which I'm not entirely sure is true. I think that they should resist all attempts to sell him. Doesn't matter how much it is, because I think it will do more damage than it will do good. Crook. I guess it ultimately will come down to, to how much the player is pushing for a move, and you have to say that. Everton aren't a particularly attractive proposition at this moment in time, even uh, for somebody who's come through the academy and clearly has an affection for the club. This is Champions League football. This is Thomas Tuchel. This is Stamford Bridge. This is the big boy league. I agree with you. Uh, I think they need to be pushing Everton for a fee of near £50 million. I think if Chelsea make that bid, they've got a difficult decision to make and they might have a fight on their hands to convince the player that Goodison Park is the best place to be. Mm. I think they've been incredibly unlucky, Everton, in the first two games. I think they should have got something out of the Chelsea game. They should have got something out of the Aston Villa game. And they've lost key players to injury along the way. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They've lost Yeri Mina. They've lost Ben Godfrey. And on Saturday, they lost uh, Abdoulaye Dekoure after half an hour of that game as well. I think they've been... It's been unfortunate the way they've started the season. They've managed to still retain a little bit of credit with the fan base, despite the fact they've lost the opening two games. So uh, I think losing Anthony Gordon will start to 
to hurt and heap a bit of pressure on the board because the board aren't popular as it is. You heard about the protests in the summer. Um, certainly the board at Arsenal weren't popular for a while, but everyone's a lot happier now at, at the Emirates uh, after Arsenal beat uh, Leicester by four goals to two. What a great game. I was at this match. Uh, Gabriel Jesus was absolutely top draw. His first finish was amazing. He could have had a hat-trick in the first half. He absolutely ragdolled Johnny Evans. Uh, and uh, he was terrific. I mean, what will he give Mikhail Arteta's team over the course of the season, Darren? Well, as we had the debate, didn't we? I think he'll score 20 goals. You didn't think he would do. Um, 20 I league goals. 20, 20 league goals. goals. 20 league goals. Do you think, do you, do you still disagree? Yeah, I don't think he'll score 20 league goals. I think it's really hard to score 20 league goals. I think, look... He'll get close to it. And I said to you at the time, I think he'll have a terrific season. I do believe that. Um, but 20 league goals is something that's only done by the very, very best in usually the best teams. So let's wait and see. I hope well, he does it. I, look, I just think as far as he is concerned, it isn't just his uh, composure in front of goal. It's his work rate. It's his movement. There oh. are so many elements to his game. He's a winner and he's clearly benefiting from the fact that Arteta said to him, you're my guy. And as you rightly say, he could have scored four goals against Leicester. On another day, he will. He'll only get better. I don't think he's even at full pelt yet. And that's someone why... argue he should have scored four goals. Yeah, he certainly should have had a hat trick because he missed a really good chance in the second half. Well, indeed, and I think as he comes up against more and more of these sides um, in the Premier League, that. Uh, try to open up and play football, he will fill his boots. Arsenal look in terrific shape this season compared to last year. The documentary shows all the problems that they managed to solve uh, last season and they look much better for it. Younger, more vibrant and terrific recruitment. I think they'll have a good season. Um, Zinchenko, Xhaka, Martinelli, Jesus, that left flank was absolutely dominant. The way they interchange and interact is brilliant. And um, I do think that, you know, Xhaka is going to end up having a great season because of Zinchenko. Because what happens mm. is, is that Zinchenko starts off at left back, comes into midfield, Xhaka goes on into a more advanced position. It gives them an extra number in attack and it gives creates an overload, which defences were struggling to, to deal with. Um but there were still enough wobbles to show that they're not the complete article. Yeah, the Saliba own goal was comical. The communication obviously not there between him and his goalkeeper. Ramsdale had a few special moments where he tried to ensure that everything was kept a little bit interesting. I don't think he'll be happy about the goal either. Um, a lot was made of Fafana's run with the ball, which was impressive. He went down the outside, took on two players, but he had a terrible afternoon, a torrid afternoon. Martinelli took him to the cleaners and Jesus as well. Um, and the rest of the list, the defence wasn't much better. How much pressure is Brendan under, Crook? Um, I don't know if he's under pressure from within the boardroom because obviously he's operating under financial restraints. So I think he's operating basically with one hand tied behind his back, exemplified actually by the goalkeeper situation because they've lost cash for Schmeichel, um, not just a top character in the dressing room, but still a top quality goalkeeper. They've decided to replace him on the cheap uh, with Alex Smith. He's basically coming in uh, on a free transfer, someone who was training at Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago because he couldn't get a club. Therefore, they promoted Danny Ward to the number one position. He was at fault for at least one of the goals at the weekend. So people keep telling yeah, he me... Made, that, he made some great saves as well. But people keep telling me there's no financial problem at Leicester and it's just a case of balancing the books. 
That being the case, why haven't they gone out and signed a proper replacement for Schmeichel? Why were they actively encouraging Schmeichel to leave in order to get his wages off the books? I think it's an issue for Leicester because I just don't see how Brendan Rodgers can improve on what he's got there unless the financial landscape changes. Well, it's an interesting point that you make because bearing in mind the goalkeepers that were available this summer, three England goalkeepers were available this summer and they knew, we all knew that Schmeichel was going to Nice because we've known for for, for a month or so that that was in the offing. Longer. So wh- where was the... Where was the bid for Henderson? Where was the bid for Pope? Where was the bid for Sam Johnson? All three goalkeepers that, let's be honest, are probably an upgrade on Danny Ward. I actually think he's, he hasn't done too badly, Danny Ward. Um, Is he a number one in the Premier League for a team that want to finish may, in Europe? May, maybe not, but obviously, as you've already pointed out, if they were a team that were going to try and compete for Europe, then they would be spending money in that area and, and they're clearly not going to do that. So there is an issue there. Uh, Gary Lineker was pleading the case on Match of the Day, I think, over the weekend, suggesting that, you know, they produce a lot of their own players and then they get picked off and they seem to spend most of the summer waiting for one of the big names to go and then they spend the money that they get from that to find new rough diamonds, shape them and then sell them on two years on. And I understand that point of view, but I don't think that's the issue here. There's something else going on, Darren, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's quite fascinating, really, because I think that the tap, the financial tap, appears to have been turned off. I know that might be a bit simplistic, but as Crook was saying, you know, when you're talking about not replacing someone of Schmeichel's uh, experience with a, a like-for-like uh, individual, you have to assume that at some level, someone somewhere said, no, we're going to tighten our belts this time around. And... You can understand why the likes of Yuri Tielemans isn't signing a new deal and James Madison um, is interested in the interest from elsewhere and Wesley Fofana wants to go to Chelsea because all of the clubs that are interested in those players are clearly on an upward curve, whereas Leicester appear to be flatlining. Arsenal crowd were pretty entertaining. I must admit, I sat almost in the crowd on uh, a Saturday afternoon and uh, they gave Jamie Vardy a little bit chung-in-cheek after he was uh, penalised for, uh, well, not given the penalty, basically, VAR overturned. The it wasn't a penalty. It was the right it decision. Was, it was never a penalty. It was a ridiculous decision not to give it in the first, to give it in the first place. It was a poor bit of refereeing. Um, but uh, the crowd were really entertaining. At one stage, when Yuri Tielemans was substituted, they said, we'll see you next week. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Yuri Tielemans, we'll see you next week. Because <laughs> he's been linked with a transfer there. And there was a couple of other funny songs, but I can't repeat them, no, just in case. You probably better uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> just in case I get myself into trouble. Uh, Brighton nil, Newcastle nil was live on TalkSport 2. Uh, Perry Groves uh, said this was a brilliant game, full of high energy, but very little goal mouth incident. Uh, four of the last seven meetings before uh, this weekend had finished level, so I don't think it's too much of a surprise, but this one did too, Darren. Yeah, I was really surprised actually by Newcastle's performance. One shot on target, they really did struggle to create anything meaningful despite the quality of their forward players. Defensively, they're very good. Um, and we all know we've talked about their defence, particularly at the end of last season, they brought that into this season, but they need more in the final third. Conversely, Brighton, I'm surprised um, that they're still struggling to score goals, even though they've tried to do one or two things in the transfer market. They brought in the striker Undar from Union St. Gilles. He scored 26 goals last season. Um, 
he hasn't found his stride yet. Let's just say that he only had a couple of minutes at the end of the game last weekend. Had uh, same again this time around. But they do need to sort that out because they can't have another frustrating season of struggling in front of goal. Neil Morpé, of course, going to uh, Nottingham Forest. Well, well, well. This was a terrific game. Uh, brilliant match, befitting of the return of Premier League football to the City ground after 23 years away. West Ham will feel hard done by uh, that they lost 1-0 to Nottingham Forest because they had a goal disallowed that probably shouldn't have been disallowed. Uh, and then you've got a situation where Dean Henderson's goal seemed to be living a charmed life. Uh, Crook, you commentated on this game for TalkSport International. How did you see it? Well, first and foremost, it was a brilliant occasion. Um, first City ground Premier League game in, in 23 years. The Backstreet Boys were number one the last time Nottingham Forest hosted Premier League football. It was full What song capacity. was it, Darren? What song was it? What song was it, Darren? Quit playing games with my heart. No, I want it that way. Go on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the fans were well up for it. Um, I thought Forrest started the game like a train, actually, for the first 10, 15 minutes. West Ham didn't get a kick. Then slowly that Premier League experience that Darren spoke about in the preview podcast came to the fore. I actually think the decision to disallow the goal was probably correct. I think he's almost clotheslined um, the, the player to the floor, Mikel Antonio. So I can understand why that wasn't given. Then they get a bit of fortune with a goal. I think Jesse Lingard probably should score himself, which annoyed me because I backed him his first goal score at 10 to 1. Despite um, having for the last two months. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, maybe that was his revenge on me. And then in the second half, I mean, what they hit the Woolworth three times, West Ham. Poor penalty from Declan Rice. He's missed his last two now. I doubt we get the opportunity to make it a hat-trick. And, uh, you know, a couple of key interventions as well. I thought Henderson played well. The standout performer for me uh, was Lewis O'Brien in the middle of the park. Someone Terrific. making the step up from the Championship to the Premier League. Looks like he's been there his entire career. A little bit worried about Worrell. I think he got isolated at times against Saeed Benrahma. So uh, maybe that could be an issue. But they signed three players on Sunday. Nottingham Forest. <laughs> and they're still looking for more. I mean, they might have 20 new recruits by the end of the window. Do we have any financial fair play concerns about the way they're doing their business? Alex, you know, in the time you've been talking, they've actually signed another player. <laughs> Evangelos Marinakis did finish last season at Wembley in the, uh, the, the sort of special box. He wasn't in the Royal box. He went. He had his own box and Jim White went up and, to see him and he said, he I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to win the league or something. Uh, he's given it a good go, to be fair to him. He's, mm -hmm. he's putting a lot of resource behind it. He might not win the league, but he certainly is he, he's putting his money where his mouth is. Emmanuel Dennis was announced at midnight on uh, Saturday night. Very odd time to do it. I don't know what uh, uh, the press department were doing at that stage of the evening, but surely they had a very late night before a big game on uh, Sunday. Uh, but yeah, look, I thought they, they did well. The, I mean, I, I don't agree with you about the, the clothesline from Mikel Antonio. Mikel Antonio is just stronger, bigger, and going into the box. Mangala stands in front of him. Mangala moved in front of Antonio. Antonio's got nowhere to go. What's he supposed to do? Disappear and become the invisible man. He can't do that. I thought he's it was got, excessive force. He's got it. Well, he's just big. He's just big and powerful. It's not, it's not his fault. Mangala should have stood up to the task. I'll Actually, tell you what, after this argument, podcast, you, you stand in front of me and I'll shove you in the same manner and see if you feel it when you hit the deck. Well, you've got no upper body strength, so I won't hit the deck. Um, but um, when, when uh, I think there's a case to turn around and say that Mangala actually blocked him off 
trying to get into the penalty because he's running in behind with Declan Rice free on the ball. What if he'd slipped him in? I don't think it was a clear and obvious error and I don't think it should have been ruled out. The referee saw it, said play on. If Cucurella's is a, a, a clear and obvious error and it's play on from Anthony Taylor, I think you can play on for a little bit of a chest barge. Crikey. Darren, oh, did, do you want to intervene here? Darren's the master of chess barges, so go on. <laughs> go on. I, 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 <laughs> I actually agree. I mean, I was in the Premier League briefing um, before the start of the season. I think you both were too, uh, mm. but you were in different broadcaster ones. And the Premier League uh, were saying that what they want is to make sure that they that was to not penalise uh, opposition players every time someone went to ground. And I thought this was just, you know, when you try to go in one direction, someone goes in the same direction as you and you just Agreed. pump into each other. I thought it was that. I didn't think it was anything malicious as far You're as... You're just soft, Crook. That's the problem. You just soft, you just turn into a softie. You'd be on the floor all the time. Spent too much time watching Manchester United and Ronaldo. That's the issue there. Um, Henderson uh, gave quite a big interview to TalkSport prior to the start of the season, didn't he? And actually, I think he probably needed to put in a big performance after coming up with strong words. And, it, and he certainly lived up to his own billing. Yeah, he did. Um, he didn't have to work particularly hard to say the penalty. It was poor effort from Declan Rice, but he guessed the right way. Um, he made one excellent save to keep out uh, Ben Rama Curler in the first half and actually reacted instinctively to one of the West Ham efforts that came off the crossbar to claw away the follow-up header from Thomas Socek. He was uh, engaged with the supporters. He was almost saluting them after he saved that penalty. I think he'll be a key player for them. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday, Southampton 2 leads 2. I know Crook's got a lot to say about Ralph Haas and Hootel here after they came back from 2-0 down to uh, level things up and take a point at home. He was under pressure. He made a lot of changes. Certainly, Sekumara, very good when he came on. Lavia looks okay in the middle of the park. But I'll tell you this, I watched this whole game back on Sunday morning and Lees was so much better for 65 minutes in this game. It is untrue, maybe even longer than that. Um, excellent football. They don't have the quality to be a City or a Liverpool Leeds, but... They will cause some problems for sides in this league and they certainly cause some problems with Southampton. What they do is, is that obviously they full court press everyone in the opposition half when they've got the ball, but they're not afraid when they're playing out from the back to play long straight passes through the middle of the pitch and get right up the throat into the opposition half. They did that really well. Now, sometimes that breaks down and then you get the turnover and that's what happened with Lorente, who probably should have been sent off in the first half after 14 minutes. They committed a lot of bodies upfield. It turned over quickly and they ended up in serious trouble. But they've got some bright talents in that team. Aronson looks excellent on the right-hand side, drifting into number 10 position. Rodrigo looks emboldened. Bamford getting injured after 28 minutes certainly hurt them because he is important to that, holding the ball up, keeping them in possession higher up the pitch. You know, they're a good team. All their goals came that way from getting it right down the throat of the opposition. They do have one issue, though, and that's the right-back. The right-back was the reason why they conceded those two goals. He had an awful second half. He was getting dragged out of position. Gineppo, literally from the minute Rodrigo scored his second goal, Gineppo's licking his lips. They changed the formation slightly, Southampton. He's got a bit more room. I don't know if it was James or Rodriguez. I think it was James actually was supposed to be over on that right-hand side uh, protecting Christensen. But Christensen, the second goal as well. Everyone talks about Mara and the brilliant pass. But it all comes from the fact that he doesn't bother challenging Che Adams in the, in the build-up to it. Very, very poor performance from him. And, and that was a weakness for Leeds. Yeah, well, defensively, I, th I think they will still have problems this season. But I think um, they surprised me. I wasn't completely convinced by Jesse Marsh, even 
keeping them up at the end of last season, but I think they play a, a very distinct brand of football. He's clearly tried to do what Ten Hag has failed to do at United and got players that he knows uh, can adapt to his system. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll keep Jack Harrison now. I don't see Newcastle uh, paying the kind of money it would take to price him away. And obviously he uh, had a big hand um, in both goals. But I, I think they're going to be fun to watch because I think they'll concede goals for the reasons you've alluded to. But I think they'll score plenty as well, even though they can't rely on Bamford to stay fit. Okay, Darren, um, he tells us, um, the Southampton correspondent, that uh, Ralph Hausenhutl is fine and dandy and there's going to be no problems. I think they've won one of the last 15 Premier League games. Um, um, how, how is he fine and dandy? And, and, and is it, I mean, I, I don't actually think he deserves loads of credit for uh, Saturday's comeback because I think the mistakes came from Leeds United and, and wilting slightly. But uh, he obviously deserves a little bit of credit for changing it up and bringing on the substitutes, both of which affected the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he talked about a sensational reaction uh, after the match and he was absolutely right because there were two goals down and as you were saying, they were being completely outplayed. And I always think in situations where there is is smoke um, in the papers about a manager's position, the reaction of the players in the game, whether it's the same day, the day after or the day after, is always very telling. And I think that the performance and the players and the show of character and the goals, of course, Carl Walker-Peters and uh, the new signing Joe Rebo scoring the goals, uh, it, it suggested to me that he has a group of players that are still willing to fight for him. It might well be that there are some players that aren't playing, that aren't having the manager, but this was a point that arrested a run of five consecutive defeats. And I think it could be the most priceless point of all the points he picks up this season. Yeah. And of course, if he does lose his job, um, it means that uh, Manchester United won't have to pay any compensation for him if they... If they decide to hire you him. are you are so harsh with this anti-Ralph agenda. Listen, very quickly, because we don't want to labour on this game too much. Um, I think Southampton know he isn't perfect. I think they know that his communication, particularly with those players that he isn't picking, um, could be better. The relationship he had with his coaching staff of last season was non-existent. I think that has improved as well. Um, if you look now, he's joined in the technical area uh, a lot more by his assistants. That hasn't happened in the past. At the moment... Them. At the moment, the board, yeah, absolutely. At the moment, the board are behind him. Obviously, if if they keep not winning games, the pressure will intensify. There are uh, members of the Southampton fan base who I think would, would welcome a change. At the moment, I don't get the impression there's the appetite at ballroom level to do that. And I think Darren's absolutely right. The players certainly played for him in the second half. Our biggest snooze fest of the weekend award goes to Wolves, nil, Fulham, nil. Um, Wolves goalkeeper Jose Sarr ensured that this ended nil, nil, and everyone got a point after making a save from Alexander Mitrovic from the penalty spot uh, late on. 80 minutes on the clock when Decordova Reed was brought down by Nori. I don't think we can have too many complaints about that decision. Mitrovic stepped up, Sarr saved it. The biggest complaint I've got is why did no Fulham player follow it in? Mm. Because they were so convinced he was going to score. No one went in after it. It was aberration from them. Yeah, and it, it, you know, it could be a big miss if they'd have followed up that draw uh, against Liverpool with a win at Wolves. That would have been a really satisfactory start uh, to the season. I think it was uh, Adebayo Akinfemru said that maybe Mitrovic would get most of his goals at home and, and struggle away from home. He, he was non-existent in the game uh, before that missed penalty. So maybe uh, the big fella has a point. 
Wolves need a centre forward. Um, you know, they created so many opportunities. The miss from Morgan Gibbs-White was one of the sitters of the season. So I, I, it would surprise me if Wolves don't bring in uh, another striker bef- between now and the window. But as we've spoken about regularly on this podcast, the options are, are limited, but I think they'll look to, to strengthen. I'm told they're interested in Mishy Batshuayi. He seems to have gone cold. So uh, I'm not sure that he'll end up at Molyneux now. Mitrovic should have been sent off though, Darren, shouldn't they? Yeah, uh, a bit of a naughty challenge. I've I, I got to say, I'm, I'm disappointed for all the people who had him in their fantasy teams uh, because Crook. everyone believed <laughs> everyone believed after Liverpool last week that he was a shoe in to bang them in, um, and it just goes to show that even what though we tell people not to get carried away after the first weekend, people always get a bit carried away after the first weekend. Um, but he was lucky to stay on the pitch. I, I look at. I think this time around in the Premier League, yes, more confidence. He looks a bit leaner for me, uh, although I'm not really in a position to quali- uh, to, to uh, get, extend on those matters. Um, and I think as far as um, his confidence is concerned, I think it's still quite high, but I'm not sure he should be on penalty duty. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Darren. Thank you very much, Crook. Uh, that's it from us. We're back on Thursday afternoon with a look ahead to all the Premier League action that's happening next week, including Manchester United against Liverpool, which is live on Talk Sport, which Crook can't wait for. Right now, we're all off to pull each other's hair, Kukurea, Romero style. But don't worry, we will keep within the parameters set by Louis van Gaal. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that the Vauxhall ELCV range is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know that the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van with an electric range of 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you're already thinking of making the leap to an electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply.